You're listening to Embolden Adventures. I'm Sarah, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, listeners and adventurers. Welcome to another episode of the Embolden Adventures podcast show. Embolden Adventures, be emboldened. Embolden Adventures is meant to inspire you to travel, to get out there, to explore, to learn. Let Embolden Adventures encourage you to take those steps to experience the world. Follow along on the adventure. Visit the website at emboldenadventures.com. Sign up for email updates on new content and ideas. Follow Embolden Adventures on Facebook and social media. And subscribe to the Embolden Adventures podcast show on the podcast page of the Embolden Adventures website. Please rate the podcast and tell us what you think. I'm in... um... Cusco right now, Cusco, Peru. I made my way uh, to Cusco today uh, from Iquitos. We wrapped up our two-week seven ayahuasca retreat experience uh, this past week. Um, It was quite an experience and I'm quite tired as a result of um, it being pretty profound. Um, What we did, the seven ayahuasca ceremonies, um, really opened, you know, my eyes in a lot of ways. Uh, I think us as a group, we learned a lot about each other. We learned a lot about ourselves. And, um, you know, part two of this epic five-week adventure across the world um, has now concluded. Part one, one, part one was Morocco. And then I, from Morocco, I made my way over to um, Iquitos direct um, through Lima into the Amazon rainforest. And now this is part three, uh, where we'll be going uh, to southern Peru. Tomorrow we're heading down to Puno uh, to visit Lake Titicaca, and then into Bolivia, visiting uh, these ancient pre-Inca sites like Tiwanaku and Pumapuku, made famous by ancient aliens on TV. And then we're going to head down to southern uh, Bolivia into the desert and go visit the salt plains, Salar, Salar de Uyuni and see the natural uh, flamingos that uh, live near the volcano and the uh, salt lagoon. And then from there, we're gonna make our way back up to um, to Ica and to uh, Nazca. So we're gonna take a, f- a flight over the Nazca lines to see you know, these large uh, you know, designs that were made by, who knows, pre-Inca, that are quite, quite large and only visible by, by plane. And then we'll wrap up in Lima. But I wanted to do video seven about ceremony seven uh, before you know fully embarking on you know part three of this epic adventure. You could see here I'm drinking my coca tea. Um, I don't know if you could tell from here, but this hotel in uh, the heart of the historic district of Cusco has nice warm coca tea for me. Uh, being in the rainforest uh, for two weeks in the humidity, the uh, fresh oxygen the rain, um, the tropics, uh, you could definitely feel a difference in altitude uh, landing in Cusco. I think we're about 9,000 feet or about 3,000 meters in elevation in the Andes Mountains. Um, While my head is a little bit, you know, kind of throbbing, um, I'm okay. And, you know, coca tea, um, which cocaine derives from the coca leaf, and this is the tea that's made from the coca leaf, is a natural way to help with, you know, altitude. Um, yeah, they told us in um, the retreat that, you know, waning ourselves back on a normal diet again um, is going to be something we need to keep in mind um, since we've been doing ayahuasca and doing it, you know, for, for quite a while. Um, the dieta I've been maintaining has been um, pretty strict, pretty clean. No salt, no sugar, no red meat, definitely no pork, no sex, no alcohol, um, no spices, no ice. Uh, a lot of different things that, um, you know, are important to uh, make sure your body is cleansed before going through, you know, this medicina or psychedelic experience um, ingesting the ayahuasca vine and the chacharuna uh, leaf. Um, We have to stay away from any sort of street drugs, um, including marijuana, but coca tea is okay. 
and so is caffeine now. So I've been drinking a lot of decaf uh, tea for quite a while and you know, slowly weaning our way back onto caffeine. I had a little bit of a sip of a coffee uh, this morning and uh, I keep those before I left. Um, yeah, things taste very salty right now and I'm quite pleasantly surprised how clean of a diet I've maintained that, um, you know, my, I've lost a lot of weight. I could just tell my face is skinnier. Um, I'm not inflamed and I think with this dieta it shows us how much crap we're eating in the Western world. Lots of sugar in, in our foods, lots of processed foods in America, lots of salt and that results in um, your body inflaming. And also, you know, I learned when I was uh, in this retreat, you know, from one of my uh, new friends, Andrew, who's from Holland, he taught me the Win Hoffman breathing technique, the, the Iceman, who has um, perfected the art of breathing in cold temperatures and improving his immune system. He realized that um, if your brain is inflamed, that creates depression. So inflammation in general is, you know, not necessarily a good thing for your body. And I noticed just this, uh, these two weeks, or this really year since the beginning of January, um, you know, taking this dieta, this clean diet seriously has really translated quite well physically for me and mentally as well. So um, happy to be drinking my coca tea. I'm glad it's, it's part now of my kind of um, slowly waning into uh, the foods I can have. I did have lunch today um, after getting settled in to Cusco. I had a late lunch. I um, went for the chifa uh, food and you say, what the heck is chifa? You might uh, wonder, but it's Chinese food in Peru, but Peruvian kind of version of Chinese food. And, you know, the Chinese had immigrated to South America a while ago, as they did in the Caribbean, Jamaica, and elsewhere in the 1800s. And so, you know, Chinese food, you know, while it's popular in America, it's popular in Peru. And so today, my Chinese food actually was very good. Um, and um, I'm, glad I had, I'm glad I had that. But back to um, Ceremony 7. I did a lot of riding on the planes, uh, the plane rides over here. Um, I'm still not quite done, you know, with my journals. I've now filled, um, almost filled a, pay, a journal and a half of this size of, you know, just the two weeks that we've been, you know, in the ayahuasca retreat because there's so much that's gone on. But I haven't done Ceremony 7's video yet because it was just so powerful. And Ceremony 7 is the final ceremony of the seven, obviously. Uh, the first ceremony was a um, kind of a gauge or some sort of assessment of how your body could take the dosages of the ayahuasca brew. And that was um, a fun trip. It was you know, joyous and it showed me what the material world looked like uh, or what, what the world behind the material world you know, looked like in terms of you know, multi-dimension universe. And, you know, how we should protect the plants and, and nothing really matters, um, you know, in this kind of waking world. It's, um, it's all good, you know, beyond, um, beyond the world that we know and live and breathe in every day. You know, it's, it's akin to like heaven, you know, when you go and you see that, um, you know, when you raise your elevation, it's only good, it's only love, it's only positive. Ceremonies two and three were the cleansing, and that's kind of where a lot of us went through um, some pretty profound, scary demons and experiences and sickness and purging and just a lot of cleaning out the traumas and the pent-up anxieties and energies that were hiding away in nooks and crannies within our body. And then ceremonies uh, four, five, and six were the realignment, realigning your um, your energies, realigning with the, the one source, you know, also continuing to clean and purge, um, seeing some more profound things based on, you know, the intentions that we're setting. And then ceremony seven is the arcana, and that ceremony is where the maestros and the maestras uh, are using different ikaros, they're singing different ikaros uh, that they were singing throughout the other ceremonies. And these ikaros are a healing and a stitching up of sorts. They were basically protecting our crown and you know, patching us back up to keep in all the good energetic work that they did through these, these ayahuasca ceremonies. So that's critical. And you know, a lot to me had happened. It was 
compared to the rest, it was kind of out of the park. It hit the ball out of the park in terms of experiences, good and bad. Um, and I think, you know, my experience at the end, once the ceremonies were over and it continued on through the rest of the night, um, got even worse and to, a, to an extent terrifying. Those at the retreat also had terrifying experiences. I mean, this isn't something we can take lightly. And my disclaimer throughout these videos have been that, um, you know, you shouldn't just casually do ayahuasca. You shouldn't take this, buy it somewhere, you know, from Peru or wherever in Brooklyn or somewhere in New York and just kind of casually do it or not do it with the proper supervision or with the proper ikros or with the maestras or the setting that is the Amazon rainforest or some sort of natural nature setting. I think all of it combined along with the, um, the group that we had, the therapists and you know the group sessions, um, I think was, the, was a very important way to experience this, um, this, this healing. Yeah, so those that were in the group, you know, here and there throughout these ceremonies were having terrifying experiences. And I was like, well, what does terrifying mean? Because mine, I had my demon, but, you know, I didn't think that was that bad. Um, but in also, you know, it was a sense of like losing the ego and being nervous that, you know, we were essentially quote unquote dying and then, you know, reborn almost like a, a near-death experience. And from those, when you have, um, you know, near-death experiences, you, you kind of become very grateful f for living and you have a very new perspective on life. And that's kind of what these ceremonies are, are intended to do in certain respects, is to really kind of help you heal. For me, the terrifying experience had happened um, at the end, as I mentioned, and I'll kind of jump to the end and kind of reverse backwards. It felt like I was going mentally insane. That's really what it was. It felt like I was paranoid. It felt like I was losing my mind. It felt like I was having a nervous breakdown. And it felt like it was so awful. My brain was just racing, 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 and in a panic state for a little bit that I felt they may have done something with the ceremonies and may have messed up and didn't properly, you know, deliver the ikros. Or, or they did it like half-assed, or they, you know, opened some sort of lid and then never closed me back up. And the way I was feeling in that seventh ceremony was so nerve-wracking that I thought I was going to be this way forever, and they were going to throw me in a mental institution when I got back to New York, <laughs> or, um, you know, put me in jail, or the CIA was after me. All these conspiracy theories, and luckily. Um, I had help. I had the door angels that, um, you know, during these evening ceremonies are helping you um, go to the bathroom, you know, helping you around, move away and move yourself around in the dark. And mind you, the cer these ceremonies were over, so everyone pretty much had left the maloka at this point, but my brain didn't know that. It felt as if um, everybody was still there. And luckily, uh, the angel that, the door angel that he was, Dennis, came over and tapped me on my shoulder and um, helped me. He gave me a massive hug while I asked for it. I hugged him out. I hugged it out, you know, knowing that um, I needed help and I needed someone to just to make sure um, that I was okay. Also, later, when I was, you know, I went to the bathroom, I purged, I felt like I was kind of coming out of it a little bit. I still felt lost. I still felt like I didn't know what to do and I was very confused. And I was pacing around the Maloka. Um, looking for help and saying, I'm not sure what to do, and apologizing, feeling as if I scared people, and I'm not a scary person. And luckily, Michelle came over and, um, you know, hugged me and kind of calmed me down and made me kind of lay down on her lap and um, helped me kind of talk it through and told me, you know what, you're not going crazy. This is it. This is how they, this is how you break down. This is part of the ceremony that they don't talk about. You're sleep deprived, you're food deprived, you're, um, off-grid, out-of-pocket, out-of-touch with, with society for two full weeks. You have no internet, you have no contact with the outside world. You essentially just have each other, you have the maestros, you have the Amazon, you have these psychedelic experiences that really are unexplainable and confusing. 
you know, there are ups, there's downs, and I think there's a point where everybody reaches is the breaking point. And it's very important to have those people to care for you, the facilitators and others, to help you through the difficult kind of process. And that's what they say, it's like, you know, magic takes guts. That was my mantra that I was bringing from my yoga studio in New York, Laughing Lotus. You know, Dana Trixie Flynn is my yoga teacher and she uses that saying a lot, magic takes guts. And the idea of surrender, surrendering to this experience, you know, letting go and getting through this experience, this gauntlet, so to speak, is, you know, that's where this, these balls come in. This is where the courage really comes in. Um, this is why ayahuasca can be scary. And I'm quite proud of myself because of how strong I showed myself, despite feeling really, you know, manic at one point. Um, I think the ayahuasca is still working. I'm supposed to be protecting my crown for three days. That's what the maestros and the maestros believe. You know, when it rains or when the sun's out, I have to wear a hat. So day three is, I think, today or tomorrow. So I'll have to continue to do that. Um, they want us to continue to protect ourselves because the ayahuasca stays in your system for four days and it continues to work with you, with your psyche, and helps you kind of process and think about, you know, all these learnings about yourself within and the traumas that you've purged. All this is, it takes a lot to, um, to understand and to process. And then, you know, the next day after Ceremony 7, we had, you know, group session again in the Maloka and, you know, had a really long talk amongst all of us. We all went one by one. And even the facilitators, you know, gave some great words of wisdom, knowing that we're going to come home and think this was a dream, or we're going to come home and think that, oh, okay, well, none of this stuff's going to stick. So they're insisting that we, we basically have a daily practice, meditation, yoga, something where we continue to hold on to all these wisdoms that, you know, we, we may have learned throughout this process and, and continue to think about and ponder on, and, and it continues to unfold. So that's it in a nutshell, but I can go backwards now and go into some details to what Ceremony 7 really was for me. Um, you know, the, the ceremony started just as they all do in the Maloka with under, you know, the candlelight that came from the, um, the propane or the kerosene lamps. And the maestros and the maestras, you know, are in the circle in the center smoking their mapacho tobacco and are in kind of like a trance because they're under the ayahuasca influence as well. And after our pre-yoga ceremonies, we all are kind of in a quiet state around the Maloka as well. And eventually, um, I think it's either Richard or Benito, whispers their Icaros into the ayahuasca bottle and blesses it, so to speak, maybe activates it. I'm not quite sure what they were doing this whole time, but they pass it over to, um, Manuela, or sorry, Teresa, and then Teresa, along with the facilitators, are administering the doses. And the Arcana, um, were, we were advised to take a lower dose this time. I was taking quite the large cup, about three-fourths the cup each time, and this time we were taking the medium, the medium cup. Um, a lot of people worried about their dose sizes. I wasn't. I was go big or go home. Um, but it, we realized that doses really actually didn't matter at all. It was, um, ayahuasca just works the way it works. And so, um, you know, when, when the Ikros started, as they do in the center, in unison, and then eventually they go individually to each of us around the circle, and we get five different Ikros sung to us by five different maestros and maestras. Um, this time, you know, again, I went into the psychedelic realm, the multi-dimension universe, um, but it was more profound than that. I think for me, I started to see, and I won't go into the detail because there was so much that had happened and I wrote a lot in my journal and I could easily put this on my blog as well and on boldenadventures.com and, and on Facebook. But a lot of what I was learning about in this kind of ceremony was um, how I felt I was being important to others and how I've taken on a lot of pain and suffering for people on, um, at, at expense of myself, and I wasn't 
practicing self-care. But in doing so, I realized I've helped a lot of people in my life. And I was going through, trying to count on my fingers, but you know, I was so out of it. I thought I had four fingers at one point, and then I thought I counted six fingers on one hand. Um, but I was going through in my mind all these various people in my life where I feel as if I had a connection and I really had helped them. And in some instances, unbeknownst to me, like through podcasts or through my writing or through things I have done where I may have not even realized, but I've really kind of helped people. So if you're one of those people that, you know, I've inspired or I've done something that, you know, has made you maybe think about life in a, in a new way or had been bold enough to try something new or, or felt better about the world or felt consoled through my maybe compassion, I'm happy I helped you. Um, you know, I had a few people in my mind, even like online, where I'm like, wow, I, it makes sense to me that, that, that I could have had an impact. But I was also thinking a lot, like my mind was just racing and racing and racing and I just, it just kept overwhelming me with amount of coincidences I may, may or may have thought you know, we're all connected. It was almost like that almost sunny in Philadelphia episode um, about um, Sousa and they're mapping out like all these different mail letters that they were getting in, in the mail room and it was like mani mania and he was like finding all these connections. Like a beautiful mind, the, the movie, um, John Nash, it's like your mind is just racing and racing and racing and you just go into like this manic state that's what it was starting to feel like. And at one point, I was convinced I was an Egyptian goddess, Sarah. <laughs> Sarah the one, Roman numeral one, as if I was this, the sin of Cyrus. I was reading a book by Grant Hancock, Fingerprints of the Gods, right before I started this ceremony, so that might have influenced a little bit. But another intention I was kind of putting forth throughout these ceremonies was to really kind of think about and understand pre-Inca and ancient Egyptian civilizations and how they exist or how it, how they built pyramids and how it's explained and you know the wisdoms I got were that it was they really live in a different dimension and that's why you know the pyramid is so perfect in, in Giza and um, how they, they used no mortar and, and cut the stones just so perfectly and are completely aligned with the coordinates of the earth. Um, same goes for, you know, the, the Machu Picchu stones, um, any sort of pre-Inca stones, or the, the Tiwanaku um, gate, the sun god gate in Bolivia. You know, the, the TV show Ancient Aliens go into detail about, you know, humans couldn't have done this. These rocks are multi-multi-tons, and there's no way they quarried them from, you know, various mountaintops across the valleys to get them to where they are. In the case of, you know, the Sacred Valley in Peru, Oliente Tambo. Um, so it is a mystery. And I think one of my ayahuasca takeaways is that I wanted to understand the mysteries of God and the mysteries of the universe. And I think it's a paradox that I'm now content with knowing that this is a mystery that may never be well understood, even God. And I'm okay knowing not knowing the unknown. So it's a paradox. The mystery, knowing it's a mystery makes me feel better. And it's as if I got my answer that, you know, God's in nature, God's around us, God's in, you know, plants, God's in, you know, geometric shapes as, you know, the beautiful geometric patterns in, you know, Islamic art. God is everywhere. God is in compassion. God is in higher elevation, you know, when you raise your elevation. Um, I saw like Machu Picchu in my visions. My third eye was going haywire. And while I was getting an Icaros healing from, I think Olga, I had my hands outstretched, my palms to her. And I could feel my palms pulsating with energy, like, like almost pinching of like electric current. And then when I was in my kind of visions, I could see my third eye completely exploding open. You know, it usually is open during uh, meditation. I have a purple kind of lava lamp color that like ebbs and flows. It's purple fuchsia blue. But this time my third eye was just like going haywire. It was buzzing. And at some point I was opening my eyes and I can see that purple color, this fuchsia color, iridescent in my eye vision, buzzing. And I could also see Machu Picchu in my um, 
in my vision. I saw it and I could see this like white, intense, like energy field, like a big ball of energy um, in the pre-Inca portion of Machu Picchu. This like, I think it's a 23-sided um, cut stone that has magnetic properties. When you tour Machu Picchu, they'll show it to you. You can hold like a pendant necklace and just hold it above, elevate it, and it starts to turn on its own, I think in a counterclockwise fashion. So there's a lot of like energies that are harnessed in um, the, uh, the, the, the Andes Mountains. And that's a theory why they say, oh, all the aliens like to come here because of the energetic properties. Just as in um, like Sedona, Arizona, or in New Mexico, Roswell, or like Stonehenge, or all these places around the world where there's kind of real strong energetic fields. Um, I saw Machu Picchu in my mind's eye, this bright white ball of light, just like vibrating and humming. And it was so strong and so like just powerful. And it was so hard to look at. It was stronger than the white light of a sun. And so that's some of the kind of visions I was getting in, um, in Ceremony 7. It was more like, you know, ancient Egypt, powers, you know, um, telepathy, um, work, energy work. Um, it was getting scary, too, and that's where I was like, oh, no, they opened a can of worms and they can't close it now, and I'm going home, you know, mentally unstable. That's where the fear really came. But during these visions as well, um, you know, I saw a lot of um, rock stars. I saw those that died by suicide, like Kurt Cobain and Chris Cornell and Chester Benningfield, Benning Bennington from Lincoln Park, who was also in Stone Temple Pilots. I saw Scott Weiland, who passed because of drugs. I saw Courtney Love, even though she's still alive, I saw her in my visions. Um, I relived, you know, when Kurt Cobain died, when I found out about that. Like, I could feel like just sadness and profound, you know, despair. And I could empathize with it. I could feel like the Metallica band, you know, in their, you know, their song One um, that they had, I think it was Ride the Lightning was the album or the Black Album, one or the other, um, is a very, very deep song. It's about um, your own personal hell within your body. I think this person that they sing about was shell-shocked from a war. Maybe it was World War One or two, and, you know, they are living their own prison, um, like a post-traumatic stress disorder experience that was just so unbearable, and it's, um, it's within. And that's kind of what, you know, this was feeling like. Like, I was stuck in my own mind, and I couldn't get out, and I was stuck, and it was scary. And I could feel, like, the pain of James Hetfield, you know, um, his lyrics are so profoundly sad in a lot of ways. They're beautiful. The music's beautiful. I think they're masters in, in as musicians, as, as song lyricists. And if you ever, if you are a fan of Metallica, I think you get it. But um, those that aren't or don't know Metallica very well, I'd encourage you to read some of their lyrics sometime. Um, it's, it's quite interesting. It's, it's quite brilliant actually and I think they're just incredible musicians but like I could feel myself shaking at this point um, you know Adam our facilitator told us that um, trauma is shooken out in the body by animals after you know a flight or fight response and in the case of a lion and a gazelle a gazelle shakes after it's you know been um, it, it, it stopped you know, it got free from the lion. It shakes it out, and they're fine. They purge out the um, the trauma. Humans don't do that. And so one of the kind of eye-opening things that happened to me was I kept shaking. I kept shaking, 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 and breathing out, exhaling, exhaling, <sighs> shaking, exhaling. It felt like I was having an epileptic seizure for hours and it didn't stop. Shaking, shaking, shaking. And my leg was shaking to the beat of Metallica. I could see myself on stage to the bass of Robert Trujillo's, you know, bass guitar. And I was shake, 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 shake. And I was shaking out my traumas. And then I went through the traumas. I saw myself um, reliving 9-11. As a New Yorker, 9-11 is still very powerful even to today. I remembered experiencing the despair, the, the sadness of 9-11. 
I saw everything. I, I was seeing, you know, all the different kind of pent-up angers and sadness in my life. And I realized since college, losing my grandparents, you know, terrible relationships, you know, profound experiences, um, Wall Street stock market crash in 2008 that I lived through, all this stuff, it just was trauma that was stored in my solar plexus inside my body. And um, I, um, my brother just came from Machu Picchu. I don't know if they want to say hi. They just came in from uh, Machu Picchu. Hey, I'm, yo, what's going on? You want to say hi to my video? No? I'm video my last uh, ceremony. Nice. How'd it go? Good. Yeah? Is it on pause? No, it's not on pause. No. You want to you wanna pop in and say, like, wave to the camera? It's going to be on YouTube. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is part three, starting. Cruise <laughs> awesome, you gotta come visit. Did you like Machu Picchu? Yeah. Awesome. Wanna Picchu is great. Yeah, Wanna Picchu is better. What? Wanna Picchu is better. Wanna Picchu, you guys climbed this just today, right? Yeah. It was, uh, it was a tough trek. It was a little wet, but we got up there. We took our time very slow, hour and a half up, and what about 45 minutes down? Not bad at all, not scary. They added more uh, handrails. Oh, really? More handrails this, this last time. So. On Juana Pichu. Yeah, yeah. Not, yeah not, not scary at all. Cool. All right, well, I'll be up there in a minute. There was uh, a big group that walked in to this hotel alongside my brother and his girlfriend, who just came back from Machu Picchu. So um, they were quite, um, I guess, excitable to be back in the hotel and um, being in Peru. Um, but if you can see, I'm actually in this hotel right now. It, it's very pretty. It's an old, old um, kind of like a house that's been converted into an atrium. It's sort of like the Riyadh that was in um, Morocco that we stayed at. A few of the Riyadhs in Morocco. It's just a very pretty place. So here I am in the heart of Cusco, as I mentioned, beginning um, part three of this amazing epic adventure um, through uh, Peru, Bolivia, and starting off in Morocco. And now kind of summing up my final uh, ceremony seven in, um, in the Amazon rainforest doing ayahuasca. You can see I'm wearing a necklace that um, I bought at the shaman market at the end. Um, the, the maestros and the maestras open up um, this market in the Maloca um, with wares and art and, um, you know, I mentioned I bought a bag from um, Manuela. This has the Icaros on it. Um, she, she stitched this by hand. Um, this is my beautiful Icaros ayahuasca bag. Um, this is, um, I think, this, which, where do I go? This represents male, and then this represents female. And these little squiggles are the actual um, ikaros that they sing, which is the vibrations that are the plants that the songs give them. And they you know, learn when they spend time in the Amazon rainforest um, meditating and you know, feeling the spirit energies of the plants. So, um, so yeah, so they opened up their um, market to us at the last day and we bought um, beautiful tapestries. I bought one from Anita, the Maestra Anita. I bought one from Ma uh, Maestra Olga. Um, I bought this necklace from um, Richard, uh, Maestro Richard. His wife actually made this by hand. It's all beads and it matches the beautiful flowers behind me in this atrium, um, the hotel. So sorry for the delay, um, we're back. Um, I'm glad you got to see Devin and Joanne um, come in from you know, their three-day trek um, into Machu Picchu. And then this morning they climbed Juana Picchu, which is, which is that green um, dome that's in the beautiful photos of Machu Picchu. And you know, I think fittingly enough, I was just saying how I could feel the energetic kind of vibrations of Machu Picchu in my mind's vision. Um, but I was also in a um, trauma state, shaking, 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 as if I was having an epileptic seizure that just didn't end. And you know, who knows if it was five minutes or if it was like three or four hours long. A lot of that really happened after we said goodbye to the maestros and the maestros and we ended the ceremony. Um, it was as if I was letting my, my trauma, my kind of, energies flow after everybody left. Is is if I subconsciously didn't want people to see, you know, the experiences that I was going through until after everything was over. 
So, um, so yeah, so I shook it out, like just nonstop, shake, 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 breathing, deep breathing, and then going through, you know, visions of my childhood, you know, as if it was a, a reel of my life, going through elementary school, realizing that um, <laughs> Matt Tobin gave me chicken pox in first grade, um, you know, hearing songs like Jump um, from Van Halen, I could see David Lee Roth and I could see myself as a Spartan skipper doing jump rope um, in kindergarten to um, Van Halen's Jump back in the 80s. Um, you know, I saw myself in, um, in elementary school, in middle school, in high school. I saw myself just in many different situations, but trying to make sense and trying to just like shake out trauma. As I mentioned, Wall Street collapsing, 9-11, um, you know, all these kind of pains in the world. And then, you know, feeling as if um, I was being paranoid, like the CIA is after us and the CIA is in the, the Amazon jungle looking to eradicate ayahuasca and the CIA is preventing us, we humans, from, you know, consuming marijuana and cocaine and all these plant medicines that you can find in the rainforest um, because they're trying to, you know, mind control us and, and feel as if they don't want us to unleash our minds through, you know, plant healing. And that may be true. I mean, we saw what happened during the Nixon era and, you know, the hippie revolution and, you know, banning drugs like marijuana in particular. Um, you know, people self-medicating through crack cocaine is maybe the, the, the many, many kind of traumas that have been, you know, passed down through generations. And, you know, unfortunately, it's just a chemical derivative of a plant medicine that is cocaine, you know, coca tea, right? Marijuana, ayahuasca, um, San Pedro, um, you know, all these kind of, um, peyote, right? And, and to me, like doing these ceremonies, it made me see that there is a mystery, mysterious world out there. There is some sort of unexplained higher power behind the material world, that multi-dimensional worlds exist. String theory felt feels real now. It, it's intuitively understood. I feel as if I opened my third eye. I have more of my intuition now than I had ever been before. I cut the barrier between God and me and myself, and I put the world, I put society, I put others' kind of points of view and conclusions about God and religion over my own, my own curiosity. Um, because at the end of the day, we all, we all don't know. We may know through religion, we may think we know through experiences, but we don't know what 100% certainty at all. And blind faith is important, and I envied those that had it or have it. And I feel as if, as I mentioned as I first started this video, that I feel now content that the mystery is okay. Knowing the unknown, knowing that there is an unknown, makes me feel better. And I think some of the profound takeaways I have from this experience is now, I'm gonna trust my gut more. I'm gonna believe in synchronicities. I'm gonna know that there's everything connected, that signs are real, that there's no such thing as coincidences, mathematically or otherwise, that I do have healing properties. I, do, can, I can heal myself. And when I feel off, I can be in nature. When I can immerse myself in the silence of nature, when I can immerse myself through meditation, when I can have my daily practice every day and really kind of tune out the outside world for a little bit every day and know that I can truly rely on me and my intuition and my, because we were told, someone mentioned in ceremony that, or book, or during, in between ceremony that um, we shouldn't think with our brains, but we should think with our being. We should think with our body and feel out situations, feel out conflict, feel through decision-making rather than sometimes re relying on your brain logically. Um, because this third, the sixth sense is opening up. It's 2020, it's opening up within all of us. And if we can clear out these energy blockages, if we can clear out our traumas, um, and, I, and clearly I've done my trauma clearing in a very unconventional, very kind of, you know, scary way, but now that things have settled and I feel my body coming back, I'm, I'm more regulated with my um, bowel movements. I mean, let's be honest, there's purging going on every direction. Um, 
I'm regulated with my diet. I'm more kind of rebalanced being in nature for two weeks off grid. This solar plexus no longer feels anxious for the first time in my life. I feel lighter, I feel happier, I feel calm. I see myself, I saw myself in situations when we were back in Iquitos, you know, even getting lunch um, with the group, not feeling impatient anymore and re catching myself and seeing how I would have reacted in situations like, where's our food? We're waiting for our food. What's going on? What's taking so long? And rather that happening, that was an echo of a thought. It really was something that wasn't forefront in my mind. And I just sat and was patient because time is, time is fake. There's no such thing as time really in the grand scheme of the bigger picture. And if you believe in this kind of evolution of an understanding of consciousness, that there's this oneness and we're all part of the oneness. Um, you know, time is, a, is, a, is, not, is a made up construct by humans. And that if you also believe that, that life is unfolding as it should in a perfect way now. But knowing that, you can't sit idle. You have to be proactive and, and still live your life with purpose and still live your life by taking care of, you know, taking the bull by the horns and and, um, and actually doing, right? You can't sit idle. I really am feeling the altitude right now, quite frankly. Um, I'm tired. I'm really worn out from this ayahuasca experience. It's still kind of resonating with me. It's still settling in. And I had a travel day today. Um, so I'll try to do another video if I can while it's still fresh. Um, I do know that this was worth it. And I do know I'm, I'm walking away a, um, a, a refreshed person, a, more, a person with more kind of wisdoms. My ego's still here. My strength is still here, which is fine. I'm proud of my strength. I'm proud of my courage. Um, I am walking away with a new found sense of God. Um, it's new, but I did say this to Adam. I said, you know, I expected praying to be like a jackpot, a slot machine. You just pull the lever, you know, here's your prayer. And literally I want the jackpot to come out. I'm praying for this. I expect it to happen. And it's not a zero sum give and take relationship with God. I think it's more of a, of an evolution and a friendship. And that's kind of a new way of looking at the world for me, and I'm excited to continue to embrace it and learn more. Um, I mentioned the Pope in past um, videos. I'm, I mentioned finding God through nature. There is something tangible that I can feel through touching God, you know, my, my touch points to God, I should say. It, it, it happened through the manta ray when I was scuba diving in the Maldives. I saw a manta ray circling above me in one of my early dive trips at a cleaning station. It was getting cleaned by these cleaner fit fish. All parasites get picked off and it's like a symbiotic reciprocity relationship. Reciprocity is a very strong belief system by the Shibibo people in the Amazon. You know, it's about giving and taking. It's a, it's a mutually um, beneficial relationship. And in the case of a manta ray with the cleaner fish, the manta ray comes from the depths of the ocean, is into the shallows, at the coral reefs circles around and these fish come and pick off parasites and the manta rays feeding the fish, the manta rays free of parasites. And as I was, you know, holding onto a rock, trying to, you know, stay balanced in the current, um, I saw the eye of a manta ray and it was the size of a cow's eye. And I looked at it and I was so wowed and I smiled at the manta ray through my, um, through my mask and my eye crinkled. And the manta ray returned the smile in the sense it crinkled its eye. And in that moment, I could feel like a zing, a, a warm glow in me. And right then and there, I knew I saw God. It, God was in the eye of a manta ray for me. God was, I felt God when I saw the Pope on Fifth Avenue in New York City three years ago. Um, I could feel God in nature. I feel God when the birds tweet and, um, you know, the bugs are buzzing and butterflies are flying and the sun shines on your face. I could feel God when I'm meditating and elevating my energy, lifting, um, you know, lifting my vibration. You know, the, the, as I spoke about before, the lower 
lower frequencies, lower vibrations, hate, anger, impatience, jealousy, all that, you know, belongs down here, it belongs in this three-dimensional world. And what I saw in my visions when I was in that multi-dimension oneness, that universe, you know, the psychedelic trip, if you will, um, there's no room for that. It all rises up and therefore by default, love is the highest power. Love is light and love is the highest frequency. And therefore the most powerful being of all is God, a creator. And, um, in a, in a consciousness that pretty much thought up me and you. It thought up planes, it thought up trains, it thought up automobiles, it thought up this camcorder. Um, you know, it thought up my body. It's, it's, it's a conscious expression of the one consciousness. And that vibration is such, such a high level um, that only love really can be there. And therefore, that was my conclusion. I, I think there is such a thing as God. And I think you know, what I want to do is I was getting interviewed by Adam because he's doing this research project for the Imperial College of London, uh, Dr. Robin Cahart Harris on psychedelics. And this whole time I've been filling out questionnaires every um, ceremony. And I sat down for an interview with Adam yesterday in the hotel in Iquitos. And I said to him, I said, listen, I'm still not 100% convinced, but I don't think I'll ever be convinced. It's like when you do, again, to these equations that I talked about in earlier episodes, um, you know, I saw God in um, <laughs> a discounted cash flow model, and it's the limit to infinity. When you do these like mathematical equations, you know, you do summations, and every kind of step of the sum of a, of a formula is another kind of number. So you could sum it to infinity, and it reaches a limit to infinity. It'll never hit a finite number. And if you don't understand math in this respect, I apologize. I'm a little tired to explain this. But those that do get math, you know, when you do the limit to infinity, you can never actually get to infinity. You never reach that kind of number. It's always going on and on and on. Um, it feels like that with my what I was, my first initial intent on coming to do this ayahuasca ceremony is I wanted certainty about God. And I wanted certainty about like ancient aliens and um, you know, pre-Incas and the Egyptians and all that. And I'm walking away saying, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm, I'm 99% and there's that 1%. So I think what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna do a pro and cons list. And this is what I was kind of talking through with Adam. There's a few things on the pro side where I'm like, no doubt in my mind, this is a divine spirit, the ayahuasca vine. No doubt in my mind that this is real. No doubt in my mind that I'm changed and this was a profound experience for these reasons. But then there's also the cons. I doubt it. Here are the reasons why I doubt it. Because we're setting intentions. It's as if, you know, I already kind of um, self-fulfilled my prophecy about the intention, right? kind of feels like a con artist when, you know, those that don't believe in psychics, that they're, you know, scamming you and they're kind of reading your reactions and, and kind of tricking you, right? Um, so I thought like setting the intentions and thinking about intentions and then having the intention come true, you know, that felt a little bit eh, woo-woo to me, as they say, with this new age stuff that people debunk. Um, so that's a con. I think the con is like, you know, when you have a dream and, you know, oh, I dreamt about doing this. Well, I did it that day, you know, like I was at school and then I had a dream about school. You know, it's like, okay, well, your brain is processing, you know, the day that you had. It's the subconscious rising up to the conscious. You know, that's kind of explainable, I think, from, from just science. So those, those are the cons where I'm like, well, I can argue this is kind of bullshit. But I think the pros in hindsight overall after this experience are in, totality outweighing the cons. So I'm walking away from this ayahuasca experience feeling um, like a new person. I definitely think I'm changed. I definitely think I have great practices to, in, um, to incorporate in my daily life going forward. I, I believe by not, be I believe because I, because I believe in a mystery now. I am going to continue to be a student of this. I want to learn and read as much as I can on these um, these types of consciousness books and spiritual books. I think the library at the kitchen in the retreat center is such an interesting library. All these people are bringing books. Um, you know, they've been attracted to ayahuasca. They've been attracted to this experience, and then they bring books with them that also 
you know, describe and kind of help to address philosophical questions about life and old books and new books and phil philosophers and scientists and all the above. You know, this, this library that we had was quite interesting and I definitely took away a few um, titles of books that I want to now read, especially my friend Mark Gober's book um, about um, consciousness. He um, and I were uh, colleagues when we were investment bankers on Wall Street and he now took it upon himself. It, I think it took him like a week or a weekend to write a book about consciousness and it's a pretty it, profound book. I'll link it to the YouTube video and you know Mark agreed to uh, talk with me on my podcast um, when I'm all settled back in New York and this trip is over and you know I kind of have my wits about me and, and this trip and you know have a good kind of point of view here about a recap. So I think, um, you know, stay tuned for Mark Gover's um, uh, guest, guest star on the Emboldened Adventures podcast. I'm looking forward to that. I think I'm really glad I did this. And I think I'm so grateful for all your support, friends, family, others, you know, following me along and, and being really happy that I survived. I put a picture on Facebook, me and the four maestras, Anita, Teresa, Olga, and then Manuela was with us too. She was she does the floral baths with us and um, the plant remedies in the mornings. So yeah, so I took a picture with four of the women and I posted on Facebook and I had a lot of awesome, thanks guys, <laughs> responses. You guys were awesome, made me laugh. You're alive and, and those, you know, even like a friend from high school who said I was very inspirational to him. Um, you know, that's the whole point about Emboldened Adventures. Like, I want to show you that you can do this too and that traveling the world is, is, is its own enriched classroom and, you know, this is how we learn. It's about um, testing your skepticism and, being, and having a health, healthy dose of skepticism and seeing that the world is a different place beyond your TV screen, um, getting to meet beautiful cultures. I think one thing I learned about ayahuasca as well is compassion that you know, these beautiful maestras from um, the Amazon are from a lineage of healers and they've been so insulated from you know, our Western world, but they've reached the same conclusions about compassion and the human love that we have. And so it's a universal experience, a universal feeling. And you know, I got a big, huge hug from Olga. I was crying in her arms. I was really sad as I was thinking about like how scary that was, that, that night before Ceremony 7, and she made me feel better. You know, my friend Michelle was just awesome. Thanks, Michelle, for first, A, introducing me to this opportunity, but B, being there for me when I was in the middle of the night, you know, feeling as if I was going insane. You know, you comforted me, you calmed me down, you talked me through it, and you helped me kind of come out of this spell. You know, I really thank my heart to Dennis, the um, door angel who, um, who was helping me. He gave me a, he let me hug him when I was feeling really lost because I felt like I was stuck in my mind and I was crying and all I wanted to do was wake up, wake up, wake up, Sarah, just wake up, please just wake up, I want this to be over. And I wasn't waking up, like my mind was still in this like, you know, set, like, you know, my head was just buzzing and it was, you know, I was going insane. It felt like I was, it felt like I was having a nervous breakdown and it was scary. And Dennis was there to let me hug him really, really hard. And I think another thing I learned was I need to ask for help. I'm too strong. I've been too freaking strong. I've been too on my own. I've been too like, I'm going to figure it out myself. Too tough, too like male, you know, kind of, um, I've, um, I've taken on kind of the male ethos, right? The male, the masculine more so than the feminine in, you know, just getting the job done, working on Wall Street, you know, w working hard, getting, you know, school taken care of, like just kind of stepping up in a very kind of tough way. And in that, I've isolated myself. I've put a big, thick kind of, I don't know, armor on me. And I forgot what it's like to ask for help. I forgot what it's like to bring people into my world. I forgot what it's like to trust people. I think another thing I learned is um, I'm not going to doubt. I'm, my first reaction is not going to be critical doubt. I doubt this. I don't trust you. Prove it to me. You know, that's my engineer brain. That's my kind of, you know, New York toughness brain. Like, don't trust anybody, right? Be tough. But um, I learned that sometimes doubt is not healthy, and sometimes being open minded and surrendering and listening 
more so than talking is very, very important. So asking for help, no doubting, um, listening, um, hearing people, really hearing people and hearing their point of view and giving people a forum to speak and giving people an opportunity to, you know, truly hear them out and not judge and not project any sort of kind of issues um, onto them. Just seeing people for who they are in a very pure kind of state. I think working in the group, work, you know, being comforting kind of souls for one another in this retreat center during you know, pretty tough times. Like some people had some, some people had some pretty, pretty tough stuff in their life. Um, and you know, good for them. They they were brave enough to work through it as well. I think all of us walk away from this feeling more empowered and um, feeling lighter. I feel lighter. I feel better. I feel happy. I. Um, I wasn't even like nervous in a plane on the way here, like when the plane hit some turbulence. It didn't have that pit in my stomach feeling like you get on a roller coaster. I felt calm and content, like I can handle this, I can handle anything, no matter what. And I have a clear mind to really like properly process, um, not just with my mind, but with my essence, my sense, my, my sixth sense, my intuition. Um, all that is going to be mission critical, great, wonderful tools that I've learned and, and relearned going forward. So um, thank you. I did this retreat with Temple of the Way of Light. Thank you, Sam and Adam and um, Juliana as facilitators. Thank you, Benito, Richard, Anita, Manuela, um, Teresa, um, Olga, especially Olga, my favorite Olga. Thank you, guys. Um, you, you helped tremendously. Thank you all to the 23 of us from around the world that came and participated in the ceremony together. Um, thank you all to those that were um, you know, working the grounds and helping carry our bags and cleaning and cooking and doing all things for us, especially at times when we were so tired and so out of it. Um, thank you for telling, thank you Publio, um, who's my integration um, guru, who was so just gentle with me and um, I look forward to working with him going forward. Thank you for those who like helped me to go, encourage me to walk in nature. Like after I did ceremony seven, I went for a long walk and I went to the village and I bought some chocolate cocoa balls. And I was with these children who actually turned out to be Dennis, the, the door angels um, ne nephews. And I could just see pureness in the heart of this little kid who was just so gentle with me. And I was just so like, my nerves were fried, I was sad, I was within nature, I was in the sunshine, and I had this beautiful sweet soul like just look at me and hug me and, and I was with his little puppy too, this beautiful three month old puppy dog and then these chickens came around with their little chicks and a kitten surrounded me and I just felt the love when I sat down and pet the puppy and was with the kid and all these like animals came around me and just kind of sat by me and then sun was shining in my face and butterflies were flying and Wow, you can't hear it, but here's a sign. I just got goosebumps. Hotel California is playing. The last night when we um, said goodbye, we had dinner with the maestros and we did like an art and music um, moment uh, with the maestros to thank them. And some of us did interpretive dance, Michelle. <laughs> some of us read poems. I sang the Madonna song, Like a Prayer. And then afterwards, we all kind of sat around the dinner table, a few of us, and playing the guitar and singing. And that's the other thing I noticed is I have a really great singing voice and I'm not scared now to sing in front of people. So I was doing a lot of singing. And one of the songs we were all singing was Hotel California. And it's interesting because it just came on now. Um, see, it's a sign. <laughs> These signs are real. There's no coincidences. That's definitely one thing I learned. So yeah, so in conclusion, <laughs> it's a very long conclusion. Um, Really happy I did this. Really, really proud of myself. Um, disclaimer, please don't do this by yourself. Think long and hard if this is something you really want to do, because this is not easy. This is terrifying, and you may feel like you're going insane. I mean, simply put, I would say do it under the good graces of, of a center, of facilitators, of shipibos, or other sort of like shamans that can help um, with the Icaros. The Icaros are multi-multi-critical. You know, you need a good architecture, a good foundation, a good kind of um, schedule to really follow along with this. 
um, you know, feel free to reach out to me, Sarah at emboldenadventures.com, Sarah, S-A-R-A, emboldenadventures.com. Um, message me on Facebook, find me on my, my um, webpage, emboldenadventures.com. I'm happy to have a one-on-one conversation with you if this is something you're really interested in. Um, but I'm not here to advocate for it because this is um, a calling and this is something that I think um, you need to be ready to do and you need to be willing to do the work because it's a lot of work. It's really exhausting. It takes a lot out of you. It takes a lot out of you. And you need, it takes a village, right? <laughs> you need a support system. But um, if that's all checked those boxes, I think, um, and you still feel like this is what you wanna do, it's going to be quite an interesting experience. So if you do do it, let me know. I'm really curious. Tell me, I wanna have your conversation with you um, before and after. I think that'd be great. Okay. So that's enough about ayahuasca, it's enough about the retreat, it's enough about part two of this five-week epic adventure. Now stay tuned for part three. We're going to be in southern Peru and Bolivia um, uncovering the mysteries of ancient aliens. Thanks for listening. Thanks for following along. This is Sarah from Emboldened Adventures. Be emboldened. Take care. Bye.